Welcome to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green, where you'll discover actionable strategies to help your student to reach their academic goals, to excel at standardized testing, and to plan for the college admissions process painlessly. And now, here's your host, Dr. Stephen Green. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm your host, Sandy Fowler, and a big, huge thank you for all you Mighty Parents for supporting us. Every time you share the podcast, engage in the Facebook group, send someone to MightyParenting.com, or make a financial contribution, you are helping us achieve our mission of creating happy, successful, emotionally healthy families. We appreciate that. We appreciate you. And so I'm giving you a big shout out today. And along with the shout out, I have a little today's tip for you. And this one is something that I share often and is one of the favorite points that we go through when I do talks and workshops. And it is that no thank you is a complete sentence. So often people end up over busy, over scheduled because they couldn't say no to somebody or they tried to say no, but it got turned around and they ended up saying yes. And it's all the things that we say after no thank you that get us into trouble. I'll add on to this in a future episode, but just notice when someone asks you something. You can be kind and you can be polite, but you can also still simply say, that's so nice of you, but no thank you. Or no thank you, that's not something I can do at this time. Appreciate you asking and move on. So speaking of moving on, let's move on to today's show. We are exploring helping our kids reach their academic goals. We're still kind of in the beginning stages of a new school year, and hey, we all want our kids to succeed, whatever that is for them, right? Well, Stephen Green, the success doctor, helps them do just that. He is an author, an educator, and the founder of Make the Grade, and Make the Grade is a tutoring, education, and training company. And today, he is joining us to share ideas and advice for parents to help our kids meet their academic goals for the year. So, Stephen, thank you so much for joining our Mighty Parenting community today. Sandy, welcome. Thank you for having me. I am excited. Ready to you, go. Yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm really intrigued with some of the, the areas I want to get into here today because you have such a great background, both in education and with your own company, where you've spent a lot of time with families, with kids. And I'm curious what you see as the most common impediments to our kids doing well in school. Um. I think the, of many things, there's a, a laundry list I think that could answer here. I think the main thing I see over and over is just either a lack, some generalized lack of direction slash motivation. And, so, and I think the sort of corollary to that a little bit is, and sometimes there's a disconnect of how students have a goal, but they don't really know how to get to a point where they can achieve that goal with any sort of consistency. 
And, and, and I find that, at least in my caseload, it is, is very, very common. Uh, I think it gets it gets exacerbated by the idea that a lot of kids are given conflicting directions. They get one set of directions in school, maybe even multiple sets of directions in school from different teachers, because if, especially in high school when they're in, in not in self-contained classrooms, then they come home and they might get different directions from their parents. Uh, sometimes you have children from uh, divorced families or you know circumstances like that. So the the key is is or the, it, the, the to answer your question it's the inability for a lot of kids to just get a plan use the plan create success with the plan and then just do that consistently on a day-to-day basis i, I find that's just a big challenge well that's really interesting the first thing that you said i'd like to touch on just a little mm-hmm because you talked about kids not having direction or motivation. And my husband is a, a math tutor. And one of the things he said is, you know, I can't cure apathy. We can help your kid find some motivation, but that's got to come from them and you have to help them do that. He's like, coming to a tutoring session does not cure apathy. <laughs> but there are things that can. And that I found that interesting when you talked about that the kids have the inability to get a plan, use the plan, and reach a goal. I think that not having that available, which essentially means that even when they did want something, they're failing at it, and that repeated failure would turn right. into apathy eventually. Or, or just re- resignation or something like that. The, I mean, to be fair, I'm not sure that, there should be a strong expectation for a nine-year-old, you know, third or fourth grader to have these skill sets. Um, but I, I think there is a point, I'll just say eighth grade, seventh grade, middle school age, where, where you'd want to see these things developing. I'm t- talking more about the systems. In terms of, of, of caring and being non-apathetic, you know, the, the classic thing is, well, you know, kids have so many distractions now and they're, you know, they come home from school and there's a million other things they'd rather do than study for school. There, what we need to create as academics, I believe, is a connection between the present and the future for these kids. And, and I don't mean 25 years out. I mean, education has to be relevant to what interests them and has to get them at least a little bit excited. And that may not happen with every single subject. I can't tell you, it's if I had a dollar for every time a kid said to me kind of thing, but when am I ever going to use this math in my life or why do I need to read Shakespeare? I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be an English teacher. Um, you know, but th- th- and that's universal. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. I, I've, I've tutored kids all over the world. I get the same thing with kids in other countries. Um, so I think part of this has to include some sort of goal setting. I think part of it has to include being realistic about what you want to accomplish. I think part of it has to make the content of the education relevant to the kids within reason, you know, within a point where they're still within some sort of curriculum that makes sense. Um, I think you need role models. You know, not every role model has to be a certain thing. You know, it might be an athlete for some kids. It might be a scientist for other kids or, you know, inventor for other kids or whatever. But I think, I think the path somewhere along the path, kids have to see, where they're trying to get, and then how they're going to get there. And, and then maybe our job as educators and parents 
is to provide them with those tools and to keep them pointed in the right direction because everybody's going to go off course at some point in time and provide them with the right motivation uh, to, to make the right decisions on their own. Because in the end, by the time a kid, by the time I get through with a kid, academically at least, typically they're 20, 20 years old, their, their expectations, they can work independently, right? They can make independent decisions and, and move forward, you know, with their lives in productive ways. So, um, it, but I think your husband's quote, which probably should be on some monument someplace. <laughs> I don't cure uh, apathy. Yeah, so yeah, it's right <laughs> up there with, with something. But, uh, but it's true. But, but the apathy is, is the result of something else, right? People aren't necessarily born with a dislike for math or English or chemistry or name it. Uh, it's something that develops over time because I guess, in my opinion, they don't see a value in it or it's not something that just you know, gets them fired up or anything. Um, it, 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 it's a challenge. I mean, listen, I was, I've been in teaching a long time and, you know, it, it's, 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 it's not like it started in 2019, you know, it's right. It's, so this has been going on forever. Um, I guess the main thing, I mean, if there is a way to do it is, is to, like I said already, give a sense of what the value is of doing something and why they should be engaged in it. That creates another challenge, but I think that's part of the goal. What's his, what's his cure? <laughs> Has he cured it yet? <laughs> no, but it starts the conversation. Everybody that, kind of laughs yeah. and it starts that conversation. And I think I'm not there, but my guess is that it's along the lines of what you and I are talking about now mm-hmm. is it's opening the parents' minds and the child's mind to, you do have apathy around this. Why is that? And, and especially in math, that is a subject that builds. So if a problem Absolutely. happens in first grade, by the time he sees them in middle school, right. it's there's been a lot of frustration that's happened. So they'll unpack that and look at what's wrong. Or like you were just saying is, you know, helping them see the future. I was also a math major in college. And so a lot of times kids will look at me because I'm certainly not using my degree now. I'm, I'm speaking <laughs> and coaching and hosting a podcast. None of this has anything really technically to do with my degree. So they'll look at me and go, what's the point of this stuff? Like you said, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's helping them to find that connection. Sometimes it's just outright sharing an idea. And what I tell kids is that the advantage of math in my life has almost nothing to do with the mathematics of it. Mm -hmm. It's that it changed the neural connections in my brain and turned me into a great problem solver. And that has held me in good stead through many different things in my personal life, in my business life. So just watching that light bulb go off is when a kid makes that connection and goes, mm-hmm. oh, so it doesn't have to be about this stupid science question or this math problem or being able to paint this picture. The work I'm doing in this moment isn't necessarily about what it seems to be about. Right. Let me throw a little bit of a different perspective in that I see a lot. Um, because I run a tutoring center and a school and, and that's my caseload for a lot of my day is often the priorities of the parents are not aligned with the priorities of the student, which is not outrageous idea when you got, let's say, 
a 40-year-old mother and father and a 17-year-old child. And the parents are super achiever type A people and the kid just wants to play video games all day or whatever. So the parents are putting additional pressure on the kid. When I was in school, I never got a V. Be like your mom. I hear this from parents. I'm kind of yelling at kids sometimes in my office. Um, I don't think that's helping this situation. Uh, it doesn't necessarily excuse the student for having an attitude that isn't necessarily going to serve them well. But sometimes it's difficult speaking to parents to, to kind of put yourself in a position where your kids want to be academically. I mean, I'm a parent. I have two children. I, I always wanted them to be super, super achieving students because I figured it would give them the best opportunity to do everything else they want in their lives. Not because I wanted to get an A on a test just because they could bring home an A with a little star on it. But because a little bit like you said, it, it, your net result is the sum of everything that got you there, right? And, and those successes, small, 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 start to add up to medium and all the mediums add up to big. And then and it just creates a greater sense of confidence and a greater ability to do things that are challenging. That's what I think is important. And I think that's a big role that people like yourself uh, play is setting people up for that success. They may not be ready to take every step in the present, but we have to position them to take the steps they need at some point in the near future, hopefully, if not down the road. So right. I'm seeing this as something, you know, as a parent who's listening, if I've been butting heads with my child about their schoolwork and things. Which, which never happens. So. Which never happens. No, <laughs> no. That hypothetically. Hypothetically, yeah. So if I'm budding kids with my kids about their schoolwork, one question I can ask myself is, what are my priorities? And ask my child, because we're talking about teenagers or even college students, right? You know, Sometimes. Hey, I'm looking at this situation and I've been looking at you know, what my priorities were here. What are your priorities? And then get into kind of those why questions and, and talk to your child and go, so this is why I've been doing what I've been doing. You know, this is what I wanted for you. This is what the reason I thought that this would be an important step on the path. And this is your life. So talk to me about why you're choosing to do what you're doing and how that is going to serve you in the mm -hmm. life that you want. Right. That, that and all that and what, what a lot of younger people don't understand, or maybe they do but they don't care, is that the choices they make now are going to impact things in the future. They, they just don't see that cause effect nearly as completely as an adult would, which is part of being a teenager and part of being an adolescent. Um, I remember when I was in, I mean, I was an education major in college, so we had classes exactly on this. And, you know, the adolescence and what your typical 15-year-old's like, and anybody that's a parent knows there's no such thing. <laughs> um, and, and maybe even the professor saying something like, you know, you could have 15 kids in a classroom, 15, 15-year-olds 15 in a classroom, and they're all going to be different. So everything we're learning academically is just a generalization. Um, but, but in the end, we're trying to give these children tools, right? We're trying to give them processes. We're trying to give them systems that will enable them to, to work towards what we, what we hope is their maximum potential, right? That's what I see somebody like myself's role and I think somebody like yours role and, and 
it, by extension, maybe the, the listeners and your audience as well. This is really what we're trying to do as parents. So part of that, exactly what you said, is, is trying to come to some mutual understanding with your child about what they want and maybe why they're behaving like they're behaving. It's not always an easy conversation to have. It doesn't always happen calmly. <laughs> or in one conversation even. Right. It may be something, you know, you're talking about for weeks or months or, you know, and, and one thing I hear, one thing, I'll tell you one thing I wouldn't do. Never compare your child to another kid, even if they're sibling. Because I'll get this too. I'll get a parent saying, how come you can't be like the, the, you know, the, the, the Smith kid down the street? He comes home, he does all his work, gets all A's. How come you can't be like him? That's, that's, I think, the worst thing you can say, especially to your own child. If you want to create, if you want to create an indignant child, uh, do that. But that's something I really don't recommend because I've seen kids really turn off when their parents get on them that way. Um, the other side of this is, is just so how do we do it, right? You know, I right, think, that's what I was going to say. So what, right. you know, you talked about systems, you talked about processes and recognizing again, we're talking about tweens, teens, 20 somethings, but if we're having issues, then part of that I, I look at as going, wow, so this means that maybe I haven't taught my child these systems and these processes. And that's good news because now I can teach them. So what are things that we can do just kind of, you know, daily types of things, basic day-to-day mm -hmm. things to mm -hmm. help our kids academically? Well, in my view, and, and I guess I will plug my book here because I've written a book about this, but I think there's three major things you can do. Okay. One is teach them how to manage their time. Uh, there's a million little nuances within that, but I think it's important for people who are busy, and, and which is basically by definition a student in school, to manage their time well. And this, this has components to it. There's short-term, like what are you going to do this afternoon? What are you going to do tonight? There's long-term. What are you going to do over the next couple of weeks? You know you've got a term paper due in three weeks. We need to look at that. You don't want to be writing it the night before. So the first piece to me is a time management component. The second piece is an information management component. Students, adults, for that matter, deal with and have to process a great deal of information. And it's, it's coming at them. Every day a child goes to school, they're learning more things. They're learning more information. They have to catalog it. They have to organize it. They have to process it. They have to put it together with what they learned before and potentially what's coming after. So they have to have systems to organize that information. The third piece, which arguably is the most important, is to have a daily plan, a daily action plan to accomplish the first two within some reasonable amount of time. You, know, you, you don't want to be coming home from school at three o'clock and be doing mid, uh, homework till midnight or two or three in the morning. So the daily action plan, which is, you know, there's pieces to all these things, but would include managing your time, managing your information, looking short-term, looking long-term, having different ways to put things together, and then doing it in a daily consistent way so that everything flows day to day, day to day. Um, that, to me, is certainly a starting framework for something like this and something that would help create a success mindset and a success pattern with a student. So let's unpack this just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, can we maybe do a quick walk through 
a day, a parent child day of what might, and, let, and let's say, let's say it's a, a freshman in high school just so we get some kind of age-appropriate help. And and when I say age-appropriate, this is realizing that if we haven't taught our kids these tools, even if they're a senior in college, we can't expect them to know how to use them. So dial back to what do they already know and move forward. So if they don't know it, it kind of seems to me like, you know, eighth, ninth grade seems like a reasonable time to go, okay, for kids, Mm -hmm. we're just teaching these tools. What would this look like in our interactions with them? You know, well, what are they doing? What should we, you know, where should we intervene and where should we not intervene? I know that's just as important. Yeah. Let me preface it by saying, obviously every situation is going to be somewhat different, but as a kind of standardized protocol, which I think is what we're trying to get at here, right? Um, number one, when, it, when a child comes home from school, which may be at three o'clock, it may be five o'clock, it may be seven, if they have some kind of sport or practice or club or whatever, the first thing I like to, I counsel a child to do, whether in seventh grade, eighth grade, not, but ninth grade is a point where you're expecting some independence, right? That's a, a freshman year of high school student. First thing I always recommend is organize what you need to do that night. Okay. I, I in my three, my, my triumvirate of success, that falls under time management. So the task is let's get everything in one place, whether you're going to physically use a calendar or you're going to use some cloud-based application, whatever, let's look at what we need to do. What do you have to do for math class? What do you have to do for science class? What do you have to do for English class? What do you have to do for history class? What do you have to do for foreign language? Whatever. And let's get that all in one place. The second thing I recommend is putting some sort of priority on that. What are we going to do first? What are we going to do second, third, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Typically, the things you do first, second, and third are the things that are due the next day. So we got math homework, page 71, problems two to nine, that's due the next day. We do that first. You got to outline a chapter in the Spanish book, so on and so on. You do all the short-term things are due the next day first. Then you move into longer-term things. Well, it's Monday night, and it looks like we got a biology test Friday. So let's break up studying for this biology test into three or four nights and do a little Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night sort of thing. That's the first thing I like to see happen is, is some sort of systematic idea where they're going to sit down and get everything in one place. So they have to have a systematic process to organize all that information. That's, that's number one. The number two is to plan out what they're going to do. So they may say, well, given everything I got on this list, I think it's going to take me an hour and a half or two hours. So maybe I'll break it up into four half hour blocks, take little breaks in between. So I have a period to get refreshed or eat or do whatever else, and, and, and it becomes a plan. And this kind of goes from the scheduling piece, the time management piece, into organizing the information, into putting it into action. I think the student's role is to do that, clearly. I think the parent's role is to support this and help as much as needed, but hopefully less and less, and weaning themselves off as the student hopefully becomes more and more independent. So if we've never taught our kids to do it, initially, we would be very involved, but very involved, still a step back, not actually laying out the things they need, not pulling things out for them, but saying, okay, what do we do first? First thing is we are going to organize what you need to do tonight. 
So what do you need to do? And let them think it through. If they get stuck, ask some probing questions to help them learn how to think through. Is that the idea? Basically, yeah. Now, the goal here is really calendaring. We need, we need to have a checklist of what needs to be accomplished. So the question isn't, how am I going to do my math homework? The question initially is, what is the assignment? You know, it just let, let's get clear what it is. Now, okay. Just as an aside, this is a lot easier now than it was five or 10 years ago, because at least in most schools, I don't know about all, almost all they have access to some sort of um, online-based system, uh, Blackboard or Moodle or Infinity Learning. There's a tons of different ones where the student could log in and see what homework is due and when it's due and things like that. That's a relatively new phenomenon. This did not happen when I got into this, uh, this, this field of work. But yeah, so, so the, the job is we need to know what we need to accomplish. That's the job. It's, it's no different than any day anybody goes to work. You have to have a list of tasks. So we want to be clear on that because one of the reasons, I guess, adding to the list, we got the, the positive list on one side, like the apathy is sort of in the negative list, right? How many times do you see a student does their homework but then never hands it in or doesn't do their homework because they never wrote down that it had to be done or they can't read their, I've, I've had students come to my office and they can't read their own handwriting. They don't know, well, I'm not, do I do number one to nine or one to 19 or one to 20? They can't read what they wrote. So step one is a reclarification of all the tasks at hand. Step two is a, an estimation of what it's going to take to do this. And when I say that, I mean in terms of time because you don't, it's not efficient and it's, I'm not even sure it's healthy to have a student just sit there for three straight hours doing homework. I think, I think it's, it's natural to want to get up, take a break, walk around, maybe go outside, whatever else you have to do. That doesn't mean they're lazy. It doesn't mean they're unmotivated. It just means they need a break. It's like anybody else might. But what we don't want to do is, is get halfway through math. I don't feel like doing this anymore. I'll take a break and come back and start Spanish, get a third of the way through Spanish, get bored with that, start working on history. That, that's not how it works either. There's, this is the proverbial peeling back of the onion kind of thing, right? So, um, so, but the key is we have everything in front of us. It needs to get done. We, we time it out. What's it going to take to do it? And then we go to work and we start checking them off. The parent's role should be to facilitate this. The level of um, support can, can vary tremendously depending on the children and their ability and their independence. But no matter what, should be less and less as time goes along. Some parents have a lot of patience for this. Some don't have much. Some parents and children work together well. Some don't. That's just the reality of it. But I, think, I do think what's really critical is that everybody's on the same page in terms of what their goals are and what their expectations are and how they plan to do it. That, I think, is important. Um, because otherwise, the parents have one perception of how that's going to go, de- go come down and the children have a different one and inevitably that's going to clash. So, and, and let, let's not overthink this, uh, Sandy, this, this is doing homework, right? This isn't like something new that just got invented. People are doing homework for a long time. What we're trying to do is create efficiencies. And what we're trying to do is create a, a way that day one builds to day two and day one and two build to day three. And we create positive momentum uh, over, over 
the marking period over, over the school year, over the academic careers of these students. Because like we touched on before, our goal ultimately, I believe, is to create independent thinkers and independent people. So that's, this is all little things building up to that giant big goal. And I, I like that, is that we're creating independent thinkers yes. <laughs> and independent people because, yes, that we've talked about that here at Mighty Parenting, that what we don't want is a child living on our couch for the rest of their years. <laughs> and a lot of that is our <laughs> responsibility. And well, so- yeah, I, sorry to cut you off. I mean, sometimes parents create their own problem. And I'm, I apologize if I'm offending anybody, but I've seen parents that coddle their kids. They, they do their projects for them. They help them write their papers. They even do their application essays for them for school. They, they do everything for them. And then they get upset when the kids can't be independent. And, and I mean, I, I imagine everybody's seen that to some degree, but I see it a lot in my, in my caseload. Um, and the, parent, the, parents, the parents' viewpoint is, well, I want, I want the kid to do well. And if I don't help them, they're not going to do well. Or I was an English major in college. I know how to write a paper. I might as well help them write it or whatever the rationale is. Um, but what it's not doing, what it's doing is it's defeating the goal of, of having a child learn by sometimes making mistakes. If it was that easy, everybody go to school, get straight A's, go to you know the college of their choice, and that would be the end of it. But that's, that's not life, right? That's just not how it goes. Well, and as a parent, what I've what I try to hold on to is it is painful for our child. It is painful for us to see our kids struggle or fail and do that repeatedly. Mm -hmm. However, um, you know, even as they're getting older, it seems like the stakes are getting so much bigger. They absolutely are. And And, and it absolutely translates. But I just keep reminding myself that Yes, and the stakes are going to get even bigger yet. So while they might screw up their college application process by not getting these in, there are worse things that they can mess up and they need to learn. If I have not been able to help them learn to this point, I need to do something different. And oftentimes that is stepping back, not stepping back to the point that when our child actually needs advice, guidance, or support that we don't give it, but absolutely right. age appropriate and skill appropriate, allow them to try and to fail. And that's why we talk a lot about coaching questions, asking questions is so that we build that that mindset in our kids. And I, I really like this, the way that um, you talked about having these different tasks, different things, but you, mm-hmm. bottom line it is, one, what are the tasks? Two, estimate how long it takes to do it. And yes. three, go to work. Pretty and that much. is a very simple thing that a parent can guide a child through, not by asking those questions, but by teaching them to ask themselves those questions and work through that because that's not just about homework. That's about the college application process. That's about the job hunting process. That's about completing an assignment for work. That's about buying a house. That's about taking a vacation. That's yes. about everything in life. Well, it, it, it's, I think to sum it up, it's, it's partly everything you just said. It's partly self-accountability. It's a little bit of also taking pride in your own work. And I think it's, I, I always, one of my just MOs in life is it's, it's trying to work to goals. And, and I think all them come together, it, it can be a really, really positive thing. 
I think, I think from a parent's perspective, look, I, I don't know a parent that doesn't want the best for their child, at least generally speaking. They may not agree on how to get there or even what that is all the time, but I think that's kind of a given. I think we can probably assume that. Um, it, the trouble, like I said before, is when the kids don't have that same vision for themselves. And, and again, this kind of repeats what we're talking about. But this is why these conversations are so important and the communication is so important. And, and just as an aside, I've noticed that when you can improve the academic piece and that's just working independently and the parent can back off, the relationship as, as, as a parent-child improves because now you don't have the whole you know, layers of things that you can argue about. And, and now you can just be more like, like two people, you know, adults that are just trying to work to the same, the same end point. And that, that's really gratifying as a professional when I can help to enable that situation to occur. But sometimes it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. Uh, but it's always way, way, way worthwhile when you get to that point. I think one more piece I would just add is it's really important, and I'm not exactly sure of a time frame to do this, but just to, to step back every once in a while and say, is, is what I'm doing working? Is my process serving me uh, as well as I want it to? Just because it worked for me first two weeks of freshman year, is it still the best thing for me halfway through sophomore year? Or, or whatever time frame you want to throw out there. Because the work will get more complicated the skill sets are going to change uh, and things like that. So there's always another level. There's always sort of a, a different way you can approach the same thing. So every once in a while, it, I think it's, it's valuable to just say, hey, what else is available? Are there changes I can make? Do I need to consider them? Uh, things like that. One last thing I'll throw out is every, there's a lot of things that are seasonal. Um, most students are busier at some point in the year than others. So if you are in a play and the play's in November, you know, you're going to have a lot more going on in October, November than you might in December or whatever uh, example you want to use. And, and that you have to plan ahead for that stuff. You have to plan ahead for these types of events. So if you know this is coming up, hey, it, it's the end of September. And I know second week of October till Thanksgiving, I'm going to be super busy with the musical or football season or name it. Um, you need, there's a, there's a ramp up to that. You don't want to wait till you're buried in work and you have no free time to try to figure out a way out of that. So part of this time management piece and part of this daily planning I talk about includes looking out a week, a month, two months to anticipate when you're going to have these sort of challenges. That, that doesn't mean you can't deal with them, but it's so much easier when you plan accordingly. And I think that's another important thing to consider is just ask that question every once in a while. I typically have kids do it on Fridays. I just say, like, hey, what's next week? What do you got to deal with next week? And usually at the end of the month, we look at what's going to happen the following month. So it's not front of mind every single day. It's not like core part of, of what I espouse, but it, it's important as part of the overall piece of what's going on. I like that idea of going each Friday, you know, just take a few minutes, look at what's coming up next week. And like you said, as you're approaching the end of a month, look at what's coming up. Are, do you have 
tips for kids when, you know, maybe their busy season is longer. Maybe it's a sports season Mm -hmm. or they're going to be involved in a longer term production or something like that. They don't necessarily know what upcoming assignments are going to be for, uh, you know, six, eight, 10 week time period. So are there other tips and tricks for helping them prepare for those busy times? One thing that we didn't talk about at all is the relationship of the students with the teachers in in this scenario. We we focus this conversation really rightfully so on the student parent relationship, but, but sort of what finishes the triad here is the teacher, right? So one of the things I encourage students to do is I say, listen, if you know you're going to be really busy in the next month, go to the teacher ahead of time, be proactive and tell them. I mean, teachers are in school too. They, They know what's going on to some degree maybe a whole degree and say, look, Mrs. So-and-so, I'm going to be in the school play. In fact, I got the lead and go, oh, that's great. Good for you. Um, and, and I just know I'm really going to be overloaded. So if there's any time you could give me work, I can work ahead or maybe let me know when tests are so I can plan ahead a little bit more. It would really help me out. And I know as a former classroom teacher, that's like, that's like music to your ears. Whenever you see a student who's actually showing a, a, an interest in their education, you're like, oh, this is like my favorite student now. <laughs> um, and, and teachers, for the most part, will always accommodate that. What they don't like and what parents don't like and what is like, you just put it off. You just put your head in the sand. I know I'm going to be buried. I know I'm going to be swamped. I know I'm going to a million things to do. I just won't do them because the play is more important to me. And I'm, I'm not saying that's literally what people say, but, but you know where that's going. Mm-hmm. And so... The, the element is just simply knowing it's happening and planning ahead. Um, I'm not sure how sympathetic every teacher would be to every situation because someone will say, well, you know, you chose to take AP biology and you knew it was going to be a lot of work and I don't care if there's a basketball game next Thursday. I mean, you're going to get that, but that's life. That happens in jobs too. That happens when you're a parent. You know, sometimes you got to do something you don't want to do because your kids have an obligation. So the, the point is, my message is, you know it's coming. Be proactive create these conversations and these should be done by the student, not the parent. It's fine if a parent wants to email maybe or maybe secondarily reach out to a teacher, but this really, I I believe strongly should come from the student to initiate this conversation, set up what's going to potentially happen. And and I found almost hundred percent of the time, it, it just greases the skids for everything because everybody wants success, right? The, the, The teachers want their students to be successful. Parents want their students to be successful. The children somehow on some level, I believe, even if they don't show it all the time, want to be successful. It's creating the forum and creating the platform for that to happen. And that's, that's where ha- that communication is important. Because the teacher isn't going to come to a student and say, hey, you know, Sandy, I know you're, you, know, you got a, a big soccer match next Friday. How about if you just don't bother with the test we have on Thursday? <laughs> that ever <laughs> happened to you in school? <laughs> Not in my world. Ah, right. So, and, and I don't think there's any expectation it ever would. But I think if a, if a student went to a teacher and said, listen, we're in the state championship soccer game next Thursday, I know, or next Friday, I know we got a, soccer, uh, a test next Thursday. It would really help me if I could maybe take the test early or maybe even take it Monday because this is a really important game to me and the rest of the team. Then now you're dealing on an adult level. You're dealing on a human level and, and, and it's showing maturity whether it's a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old, it's saying you're taking ownership uh, of your circumstances. And that's really important. 
And I had a daughter who did that frequently through high school and college. And the vast majority of the time, an instructor would work with her in some way, shape, or form. It wasn't always the one idea she had in her head about how it should best be done, but they would generally work with her. And once in a while when they don't, like you said, well, this is life too. This is what happens. If I'm working in a job and something great is happening in my personal life, there might still be something I have to deal with at work. So those are lessons for our kids to learn. And it's okay to let them learn those lessons. And it's okay for them to grumble and be upset about it. They can have their feelings about it as long as they're not inappropriate with their feelings. The key is, you know it's coming. You know you're going to have this stretch. Why put everything off and avoid it? when you can take a three-minute conversation and create an environment where you've now built trust, you've, you've enhanced a relationship with a professional, and probably you're just going to make your life easier in general. So th- I, I just think it makes sense. It, it, it takes a little bit of, of um, desire for the kids to do it, but this is all part of taking ownership and taking responsibility for your education as a student. So, you know, these, these aren't all things that kids are going to do day one of ninth grade or day one of seventh grade. These are things we build to, right? These are things that happen along the way and, 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 and as we see growth and we see maturity. But there are also things parents can encourage and there are suggestions that parents can make, maybe without sounding like a parent, <laughs> if that makes sense. Because that's, of course, the last thing a kid wants to hear is advice from their parent. But, but often parents do have great ideas. It's just, it's just getting the kids to understand them at a level they're ready to hear. So, One of the things I have found valuable recently, now granted my girls are in their early 20s, so it's a little bit, a little bit different. But I did this even in high school when I had the presence of mind to do it, is I would ask them, do you want a suggestion? And sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say no, and sometimes they say no, and then they come back later. A lot of times in high school, it was mm-hmm. fine if you have to say something, <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, you're going to tell me anyway, whether I was uh, a yes or no. But they asked, <laughs> right, in a sense. So yes. I think they were still more open to it. And I love your suggestion, Stephen. I just want to go back and for uh, do a little quick kind of dot point summary. So yes. When it comes to helping our kids in school, we want to make sure that we are on the same page with them about what the priorities are and talk to them and understand what their priorities are and what their goals are and then help them learn how to connect their present and the seemingly disconnected things they need to do in the present to their future, not the long term when you're going to retire future, but short term. And the younger they are, the shorter we want that term to be. We want to help our kids to reach their maximum potential. And we can do that by starting to teach them systems and processes. And you talked about this idea and gave some really great info. But like I said, I summarized it all the way down to the last piece that you did where you said, lay out the tasks, estimate how long it takes to do it, and then go to work. And as parents, our role is just to facilitate that, not to do it. But also it's important, and this is something that would definitely, the younger a child is, this would definitely take a lot more parental time because it is an executive function, which is looking forward in time to what's going to be happening. 
as you said, most students have a busy season where your family might have a busy season. You might have something coming up. You might know you're moving or you're vacationing or whatever, but help our child look forward and build a good relationship with their teacher and be proactive and go in and talk to their teacher about those things. Now, Stephen, I know you wrote a book and you mentioned it, but could you give the title of that book as well as the website where people can find you? We'll have it in our show notes, but I'd like them to be able to actually find your website directly as well. Absolutely. And actually, you did a great summary. You're hired as my publicist. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. A second yeah. job. That's good. Yeah, there you go. Fifth job. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, the book is entitled Maximum Education. Uh, it, it, I am proud to say it was actually a number one Amazon bestseller point. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or you can go to MaximumEducation, all one word, dot net. My website, which has a lot of information, is MakeTheGrade, M-A-K-E-T-H-E-G-R-A-D-E dot net. Uh, I have all the usual social media outlets out there. There's a Make the Great Facebook page. There's a community. Uh, like, like you do, I encourage interaction. Uh, there's a lot of peer-to-peer support, which I really like. Um, and, and, and that's it. I see my role in the, in the world as, as really just trying to help people. And I think the book is a really good mechanism to do that. Uh, there is a, a, a video-based course about the book I can tell people about. But, but right now, it's really just trying to get the information to people. So that's certainly a good start for everyone. Well, thank you, Stephen, for sharing all of your insights and great tips with us. And thank you, Mighty Parents, for joining me today here on the show. Remember, if you're here, you already are a Mighty Parent. You're doing the work. You're stretching and growing along with your kids. So thanks for being here, and I will see you next week. You've been listening to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. For more resources and support, please visit makethegrade.net.